0: Hey everyone, it's Lainey. So I am moving some things around and my recording equipment is just not ready to go yet for a new episode. But I am going to be releasing the Get Vocal stream that I did with author Rachel Monroe, where we talked about her new book, Savage Appetites. It's a book that I really recommend you check out. We are doing a giveaway for it. So listen to the episode to find out what you need to do to be entered for a chance to win. Now, I want to go ahead and apologize that I can't release a regular episode, and I know you're getting a fee drop today, and not a lot of people like those, and I get it, but the ads have been sparse here lately. I think you'll hear a lot of podcasters say that, and it's really because of COVID-19. They are not really sure what's going on, so we hope to see an uptick in the ads that we're used to getting towards the end of the year so that we can keep everything going, keep the lights on here. It won't impact the ability of TCFC to release episodes, but it may change the type of ads that we're doing in the meantime. Okay, on to the show. an exciting day for you because it's your actual launch date for the book, (laughs) which congratulations and also congratulations (laughs) on the giant bone discovery you found.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was really, it's, it's been a big day all around.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, we've already started the broadcast, so we are good to go. Um, just a reminder for anybody who is new to Get Vocal. Remember, if you join us on Get Vocal, you should subscribe to my channel or to um Rachel's channel. Just send me a DM on any of our social media platforms or TCFCpod at gmail.com, and you will get a ton of TCFC goodies. But what's special about this broadcast is we are actually giving away a copy of Rachel's book, Savage Appetites, which I have not been able to put down and I'm really, really into it, and I think that if you are a true crime reader, you are absolutely going to love this book, and I will be announcing the winner next week of the book giveaway, so make sure you stay tuned to learn how to enter. So Rachel, go ahead and give us a background on you and kind of tell us a little bit about how you started in becoming an author and what got you into true crime, that type of stuff.
1: Sure. Well, I mean I think, you know, I was into true crime before I ever thought about being a writer, you know, of true crime or anything. Honestly, I mean that was like something that I I think it dates back to like my my early teens, preteen era just cuz I was like sort of a a misfit kid, felt totally like an outsider and a weirdo <laughs> and, and
0: like- I think we can relate. <laughs>
1: Exactly. I think, you know, I think it's funny because I think there's so many people out there now who uh, feel like that and say, why couldn't we have all hung out when we were 11? (laughs) I think we outnumber the rest of them. Um, But yeah, so that was just something that was always kind of in the back of my head. Like whenever, particularly I always noticed, like if I was in a period where I felt like depressed or kind of freaked out about the future, that's when I would just binge, you know, Law and Order SVU, yeah. or like, you know, big, thick, true crime books, like it didn't even really matter. I just like, I want like a big, a big paperback that's gonna just completely take over my life for a few days. Um, and then I started becoming a journalist doing more and more journalistic typewriting writing. Um, when I moved to Texas, pretty much, um, see, about eight years ago. And, and I started writing some crime stories, um, just as journalism, because they interested me, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're kind of fun to do. Um, But I always felt like there was, there was a, there was like another level, you know, I could tell a story um, about something that happened and kind of delve into the dynamics of that situation, you know, this, this girl who got kidnapped, or this guy who, murdered his friend and but it it felt like there were these larger questions that I couldn't quite I didn't have the space to grapple with Mm -hmm. and that's when I started to feel like oh okay maybe maybe a book is the right shape to kind of think about things like at more like why why do I find these stories these like really terrible stories you know why do I find them not just interesting but like kind of pleasurable in a way you know that's like that's like an uncomfortable feeling but it's it's something that was in me and I started to look around and see it was in a lot of other people too. And I just, it felt like nobody had really, I I hadn't found any really like satisfying explanations or anybody kind of digging into it. Yeah, no, that's,
0: that's very true. And I think a lot of us feel that way for why we engage so much in true crime, either with creators of podcasts or authors of books. We just want to kind of, Get as much as possible. And I used to always get like, oh, doesn't that just bring you down? I'm like, actually, no, it just it's so fascinating. Like, it kind of invigorates me because I want to know so much about the psychology of it. Like, I can't imagine that people like this exist. So, in reading your book, I noticed that you kind of started around the same age I did. Um, with learning about true crime and what it was and me not realizing that it was actually a real thing that happened I I kind of associated from murders and stuff and I was like oh that's what people in their families like that's just what happens and I didn't realize like what a serial killer was or that there are these you know people out there who kill at random really and you were talking about (laughs) the book that taught you about oh my gosh what was it it was um Oh my gosh. It just left my brain. Um, Oh, um, asphyxiation, like autoerotic asphyxiation. (laughs) And I was like, that's the same thing I did. Like I had no idea what like, um, incest was, and one of the first books I read when I was 12 was, um, House of Secrets by Lowell Caulfield, and it's one of my favorite um, books to read. And what I recommend for somebody kind of starting in true crime, I'm like if you want to get into true crime, you, if you can yeah. make this, this is what you need to read. Um, so we started at the same time, and I saw kind of the dialogue going on of how you, um, you know, your mom was into true cr- detective magazines and things like that. I'm like, my family was the same way, but that also made them really paranoid about mm-hmm. your safety. So my mom would be like, "Somebody's going to take you." And somebody's yeah. gonna kidnap you off the street, and I'm like, okay, well, why are you reading this if that's what's gonna happen to me? Like, I don't get it. Um, but then once I once I started reading True Crime, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And so that started my own fascination with things. So, what kind of what was the case? I guess, or was there a case that led you to go? You know what? I need to figure out what makes these like four different profiles of people? Because we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but what kind of sparked your, you know, idea? I always say like, what's your aha moment to figure out, hey, I'm ready to write this book.
1: Well, I think, you know, the one that um, had stuck with me for a long time, because sometimes I think I'm like a lot of writers, like sometimes I'll, I'll be obsessed with something, like being a writer is such a good, uh, job, probably a podcaster too. Like if there's something that you're obsessed with, you can kind of, you can just, you're like, I have to be obsessed with this for the next two weeks or two months or whatever. It's my job. Um, so I would get, so writing has been really good for me because I can get obsessed with something and then usually I can let it go and get obsessed with something else. And the one that, um, it was really interesting to me, the, the Manson family, Mm. um, is something that I had like one of the first books that I read when I was young, too young, <laughs> um, Skelter And, um, that's one of the ones that's really stuck with me. I've written about it a lot. And instead of, um, that making me feel like, okay, good. I like kind of worked that out. I got it out of my system. It just makes me, um, want to think about it more. And there's so many different elements to that, you know, like the Charles Manson himself, I don't find all that interesting. Yeah. No, me, not at all. You know? Yeah. Um, but the, the, the Manson girls, the young women, um, just the involvement of Hollywood. And then I became really fascinated with, there are all these people who, um, even now years later are like obsessed with the Manson family. And so all of that stuff. Um, so that for me was like a really key story. I also saw how it, it influenced culture a lot, mm-hmm. you know, this was the case. Cause I think sometimes people think of true crime, like, oh, that's just this, like, trashy tabloid stuff um you know it's like it doesn't really matter but one of the things i wanted to do in my book is like think about like no these stories particularly ones like the manson family or columbine these ones that get so big they really shape our culture our society our politics and so we can't we lose out a lot if we just kind of dismiss it um as not worth thinking about so that yeah the the definitely the like the big one for me probably was the Manson. the Manson murder but
0: not necessarily with charles which i agree with because if you kind of really delve into it and look past charles you're like wow how did you how did you end up here how did this happen you know so i totally get that for sure so as we delve into the book again reminder that it is out today congratulations amazing um you have four roles that you discuss in this book that you give us examples over so we have the detective the victim the (laughs) defender and the killer i want to make sure i didn't mess it up um so i don't want to give any spoilers and for true crime aficionados much like the people who listen to my show probably read your books um they may know these stories so I don't really want to go into depth and spoil it for anybody who has not heard of these stories yet. But if you could just give us an example of the stories you touch on for some of your roles in the book and then kind of what your what role fascinates you the most out of those.
1: <laughs> it's going to be hard for me to pick one. But I guess, you know, um the I think one that um maybe people know about, but don't necessarily know about in this particular way is I wrote about the West Memphis three, um, which is a case that has gotten a lot of attention. You know, there've been a number of books, a ton of documentaries. Um, and this was this story of, um, these three eight year old boys who were killed in West Memphis, Arkansas in the early nineties, like a really brutal, uh, Killing yeah and um the town very quickly um the police there seized on and arrested three teenagers who were kind of the local misfits, you know the, they listened to Metallica yeah wore <laughs> <War And>, black, <laughs> yeah, exactly, they like wore black and they were you know it, it's easy to relate to them, I think, yeah, and um based on and essentially like no physical evidence um, no kind of motive, really, like these, these teenagers did not know these children or have any relationship with them, um, and so the motive that they came up with was, like, oh, no, it must have been, uh, a satanic ritual, because these kids, you know, were Black, so clearly, the, and this was a, sort of the tail end of this, this period known as the satanic panic, um, and it's not a spoiler for my book, I guess, to say that, um, Two of those teenagers were sentenced to life in prison, and one was put on death row mm-hmm. um, for these crimes. And um, and so that story has kind of been told over and over again. But what I was interested in was um, this woman named Lori Davis who saw one of these documentaries, and I think like a lot of us, you know, just got totally drawn into the case and was found it really fascinating and thought it was like really terrible that these these teenagers had been arrested based on like no evidence. Um, and so she just get kind of gets drawn into this case pretty much like kind of as far as you can go basically. Yeah. Um, and so that to me was a story that was really interesting because, you know, I'm not so much, I'm writing about true crime, but I'm also writing about people who are, I'm more than that. I'm writing about people who are obsessed with true crime and how that impacts their lives. And so Lori Davis is, as a person who, Her just watching this documentary and learning about this case shaped the rest of her life, you know, to this, to this day.
0: Yeah. It's pretty intense how, how I guess focus advocates get, and it could just be from one thing. So like we had serial happen and it blew up, you know, the Adnan Syed case. And so that, you know, started a lot more things with the podcast that his, um, his best friend's. Sister does now, um, Rabia. So she, you know, advocates for him. And then there's more people that are have joined, like John Cryer gets on undisclosed too. And it's just not the overlap that you expect, right? You don't expect these um, celebrities to get involved and to help, much like with the um, West Memphis Three. We had, you know, a lot of celebrities like Johnny Depp getting involved and wanting to voice for them because they felt they were. Um, being railroaded now i will tell you in the true crime community that that case is hotly debated all of the time um uh,
1: the evidence though it's well yeah anyway. yeah
0: so <laughs> <laughs> um everybody likes to find something in it i am of the camp that these guys did not do it um but there are people who are not in that camp um which i don't get but not shading anybody I just don't understand how you get there there. yeah I don't get it but it's okay um so I was really interested in um the killer perspective or the killer profile that you mentioned in the book um so I kind of want how did you pick that case what made you, and then, you asked
1: earlier yeah. <laughs> you asked earlier about like the one that kind of sticks in my head the most and it's probably this mm. this this chapter or this section which a lot of people have told me is like the most disturbing cuz you know some of the stories in this book are like kind of dark they're yeah. dark but they're like, uplifting in a way or they're like affirming and this one is like pretty much just like oh no it's this is like
0: <laughs> this is dark, dark.
1: <laughs> yeah um You know, so this chapter is about a young woman, and I actually first, before I knew about her, I knew about this online community that she was a member of, which is the Columbiners, which your your audience might be familiar with, but just in case they're not, it's like these mostly like young girls on Tumblr who have crushes on the Columbine killers. So they're like essentially like a fandom of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. And yeah, it's it's like it's like pretty mind blowing. And I and I found them. I remember it so clearly. Like this one night in 2012, um, I somehow I, I I stumbled into this Tumblr community. Oh wow! And it was huge. I was like, wow, there are hundreds, if not more than hundreds, of girls. Some of them seem like most of them seeming like quite young. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember I was in high school when Columbine happened, so it was super visceral to me, um, and these girls are standing, you know, yeah. um, these guys, and, and posting sometimes these like really gruesome pictures, you know, there, there are um, evidence photos of the, the two Columbine killers after they shot themselves, and they'd, be, they'd have that photo with like hearts all over it, yeah. and it's like, Whoa. What is going on here? So I, I wrote about that. And this is like another one that I was like, this is really fascinating. And I kind of need to keep thinking about it. And so I thought I was just kind of obsessed with that world. And then a few years later, like after I had kind of done all this research and written about it and interviewed a bunch of Columbiners, I learned that um, some members of that community had gone out and planned a mass shooting in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was dead and one of them was arrested. And um, that's when I was sort of like, whoa, I need to figure out what's going on here because this is, this is, this thing that I was looking into taken to its most extreme extent. And that was, honestly, that was like, t- is, as like a researcher, it was um, very disturbing, but also really fascinating because, um the two people who planned this shooting—they had met online. They never met in real life, and their whole relationship happened over Facebook chat. Oh, wow. And all of the Facebook chats were entered into evidence. And so I went to the court, and and the, it's funny because it was in Canada, so there like really were not that there were only a handful of Canadian reporters there. Um, and if you know, you figure if this case had happened in the U.S., it would have been a huge, oh, but it's sure. like. like over a national border so people don't pay attention so I was like can I see those chat logs and it was like you know like thousands of pages and they they let me sit in there and just like read this whole relationship as it happened over these weeks kind of developing as they start to kind of feel each other out and and the so the psychology is really there on the page in a way that's a lot of times when people are like planning a mass shooting, if it's a solo killer, you don't know what's that. going on. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe they write a manifesto, but their manifestos are always like just full of bullshit. Yeah. And, um and so in this, you have two people talking to each other, like psyching each other up, talking about talking through their ideas, and so you really see this this idea gestate and form, and and so there's something really um, compelling about seeing that like how does that happen but also really really creepy like that was that one I don't know I had kind of thought I don't know how you feel but I'm sort of like oh I think about this stuff all the time it doesn't bother me anymore and I was like I'm freaked out yeah
0: no I I, when it, it depends on the type of case that it is so on the show I don't really cover any type of random mass murder. So I haven't covered, I mean, I did it a long time ago, but, um, my content editor is the one who hosted that episode. Cause I can't deal with those types of crimes. It, it it's terrifying. Um, and you would think that doing this as long as I've been doing it and covering pretty gruesome topics that there wouldn't be something that I shy away from, um, but when it comes to random mass shootings, when I think about Aurora and I'm like, wow, I was just sitting in a theater, you know, watching a movie, you know, so many months ago and didn't think twice about somebody walking in from the exit. Um, mm-hmm. And now everybody who gets up in a movie theater, you're like looking at them like, are you going to be the one that does this? Or And so that just creates a lot of anxiety for me. And so it's not something that I ever want to um research but I'm not blind to it if that makes sense so I don't I acknowledge that they happen and I acknowledge that if it's going to happen and I'm, I'm there then there's really nothing I can do to prevent that but I don't need to psych myself up <laughs> to be like is it going to be you is it going to be you um yeah. but my researcher and my 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 content editor she she finds those cases so fascinating like she could mm-hmm. read about them all day and is like, yeah, I would love to cover more. And I'm like, you can do it. Like, I'm happy to give you an episode if you'd like to, but there's no way that I could do it myself. Um, But yeah, that one, those are a little harder for me to read, but it was really enthralling because I was like, there's somebody else doing this research and laying it out for me. So I don't have to go back and look because I was that type of person where I would, um, if I was listening to a show or something, I wanted to Google everything immediately and look at the crime scene photos. Um, but after doing it for so long, it's just like, there's no point, like mm. a tragedy is a tragedy and you don't need the pictures to prove that, which is the same reason why we don't often include audio, um, nine one one calls in, um, the podcast. Uh,
1: I think that's really, I, whenever I hear them in a podcast, I feel so, I understand why people do it, but you feel like, I don't know. I just put myself in that position Would yeah. I ever want my voice or my mother's voice or my brother's voice you know in yeah. that, in that sort of terrible
0: moment it's 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 bad you know it's not great there are some shows that do it i get it understand um why they yeah. do it and there are some listeners that like hearing those um they feel you know a little bit more connected to the crime or it feels more real to them i understand that we typically include court audio so things that were you know public record already that you don't have to go through a foia request to <laughs> to get you can just easily pull it up. Um so yeah, those are hard to listen to. I've I've heard some really terrible, you know, 911 calls and I know that people enjoy those, but I think I was, you know, I think the same way you do. If if it was me or if it was one of my family members, I wouldn't want that out. Um so how would you feel though if you if one of the subjects in your books had written you and was like Hey, get me, take me out of your book. I don't want to be involved in this. Or could you stop writing about me?
1: Uh, well, you know, I got to be careful what I say. That that didn't exactly happen like that. But not, not everybody that I have written about is happy.
0: Oh, yeah. To,
1: uh,
0: Podcasters yeah. understand your pain. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and I guess all I can say is that the the nice thing that you have when you write a book is that you've got a team of lawyers there and they like look over everything. And, you know, there's like, when, when people have been convicted of a crime, you can, you know, they make themselves public figures in a certain way. Right. And people, when people make themselves into public figures, um, you can write about them Then too, because they've they've kind of put themselves out there in the world. As long as you are scrupulous about doing it right, yeah,
0: I agree. um, Yeah, that's it's really tricky, though. You know, like how
1: do you feel? Like it's hard. hard, It's involved um, invading people's privacy, and I don't know. I just have to. I think that for me, at least, what what I try to kind of weigh it and say, like, is this is this worth it? Am I just doing this to be trashy and sensational? Then it's not worth it. But if I'm kind of trying to build some larger point. And if I'm talking about things that are already out there in public, yeah. you No, know, it's not like
0: I'm perpetuating sure. it. And it's exactly. really, no, we, we get a lot of the same things, um, as podcasters. I think where we have kind of that freedom is it's easy for us to take an episode down versus having to pull an, you know, an article from the internet and be like, yeah, sure. That never happened. Um, but it's easy to kind of pull stuff like from our end, we've had that happen. Um, A bunch of my friends, you know, they are we we tend to not contact victims families because you just don't know how it's going to go. Um, There are some who are grateful that you've shared their story. And then there are others who don't want you to share their, you know, their loved one's story because Mm -hmm. it's too painful. And we totally get that. And I think the majority of us, if that does happen, if we get a family member that reaches out, we'll pull the podcast like no problem. If if they feel that it was disrespectful in any way or anything like that. But I wanted to go back real quick because you mentioning the Columbiners brought something interesting up in my brain. When I first started the show um, and I created you know, my Instagram page, I got a lot of followers who were really into being in love with serial killers. Um, and I also had this young girl, she was maybe 13 or 14, who... Um, I forgot what the first name was. It was like Lottie or something like that. Like it it was a different first name, but she had Cleboid as her last name. Uh And she was constantly posting in her stories, you know, like pictures of the boys and, you know, like hearts and different killers and things like that. And was like, oh, he's so handsome, like Richard Ramirez and being like, I'm in love with him or he's my baby or something like that. And it was just like, Wow. They were treating it like a teen idol, you know, like this is the only equation I have is like somebody from the Backstreet Boys, right? Where you're sitting there posting on them being like, oh my God, I love Nick. And I couldn't believe it. Cause I was like, I'm, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties at the time when I started the show. And I was just like, I want to call this kid's parents and be like, do you know your yeah. kid? is sitting here on, you know, a public platform saying these things about two men who took, you know, a bunch of people's lives and created this terrible history, you know, and precedence for school shootings, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I found that incredibly interesting. And I I didn't interact with her. I I think she still follows me. So no shade, homie. If you're watching on the air, but it did freak me out because I was just like, that is so, that's so sad because we could have gone a different way too. If we would have, um, if we would have found the fascination with these killers and turned it into adoration, then we would kind of, I can see how that can happen. Right. I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I think that's why you know, especially when I was first writing about the Columbiners, there was a part of me that felt really sympathetic to them, and not sympathetic in that I agreed right. with how they were looking at things. But I, I, I thought back to like when I was twelve and thirteen, and yeah, had you know, like thank God it was before
0: and the internet I, was like crazy. Was on the internet forever,
1: so like that only knows what I would
0: have. Yeah. but you know, I think
1: there is, there's, there's a way, especially for like young and like teen and preteen girls were not given that many models for like how to to be fascinated with something. And so, and the crush, like so many girls that I know have these really intense crushes that are not so much about the person that they actually have a crush on. I mean, I write in the book, like my friend, Emily had this huge crush on Paul McCartney and we're like, Paul McCartney's like 70 years old. Yeah. You know, like what and it was like, Oh no, what she really wanted was she and now she's a professional musician. Yeah. You know, but like she couldn't for some reason saying that, saying like I wanna play the guitar was too threatening in a way. So she had to kind of say it in this like roundabout way, like, I wanna I I have a crush on this guy who plays the guitar. Yeah. And so I think often, um, and I know it was that way for me when I was young, like like the crushes that I had, they were sort of like a, a conduit for my feelings and it didn't it wasn't the person it was was the
0: feeling right it was the
1: person it wasn't the person it was the feeling and so you know I think that and I talked to some um I wish I had talked to more of these girls who I had talked to back in 2012 and um you know eight years later or whatever um Basically, none of them were still posting in this way, but some of them, you know, you could sort of follow them through Tumblr. Like, oh, you became you became a criminal justice major, mm. you became a psychology major, you became an activist in some way. And so it's like there's something in them where this story. And I do think that for people who are like much younger than us, who were like really little when Columbine happened, it almost feels like a myth or a movie right. or something. They, they don't. They don't. It's hard to remember that it was real. And it. it I also think that um, the first season of American Horror Story came out, like around uh, the time. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you're putting a TV show with a like hot school shooter on it. <laughs> right. You know, like, with, like the love interest. What do you think, how do you expect, you know, in a way our culture, and, and that's the other thing is, so I don't want to blame these girls too much because, and I write about this in the book too, Our culture, in a way, is or corners of our culture is is, are totally obsessed with serial killers and make them into these celebrities. Right. Make them into and so when you make somebody into a celebrity, you kind of can't be shocked if they get groupies. Right. You know. Yeah. And people pick up on that on that fame and that fascination and and it gets expressed as like ooh adoration. (laughs) Adoration. Yeah. And so it's sometimes I feel like I don't want to I don't want to just like yell at the 12 year old <laughs> girls and rest of us off the hook. You yeah, know? like that. That's not the person who needs to be.
0: Yeah, learned, it's but. kind of it's it's interesting because, you know, I can say the same thing about myself. I went to the Museum of Death right in L.A., and i was like oh cool it's gonna be great and awesome and then i was completely overwhelmed when all that stuff is there because it's the same way like you were saying like i you know i don't remember jeffrey dahmer i wasn't even born so that doesn't impact me the way it would my mom right who who knows and like with the night stalker and things like that or now with the Golden State Killer, like people who actively remember him, you know, being in their area and being fearful that he was going to strike their homes. And then now seeing this pretend fake feeble old man, which he is not, um, you know, sitting there kind of with his mouth open, like, you know, he's a victim of some sort. And I just was like, i was in that museum and i i mean like it is insanely graphic so if you go like high trigger warning for you um because it shows everything like and it's the museum of death it's not just serial killers and things like that but it is a lot of horrible deaths around the world if you will you know so going through that i was like oh i wasn't prepared to see that like i thought i was just going to see things i was already used to seeing you know um, and it was a lot to take in. And I was like, I don't ever want to go here again. And there are people who love going there, who will go there every single time, you know, they go to LA and stuff. And I'm like, I never want to go there again in my life. Cause it was just, a, have you been there before?
1: Yeah. But not for a long time. I remember the heaven's gate. So.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That was there too. So like, that was yeah. fine. Cause I was like, oh, that's interesting to see like how they were positioned and to see their clothing and stuff like that. But it's another thing to go, and see like the crime scenes and the the bloody things that they've had and collected from the crime scenes like that's a little different to me um it's not like ghost adventures you know where this thing is haunted and nothing happens and you just see it (laughs) it is actually you know something that was involved um in somebody's death so yeah it was it was really interesting an interesting experience for me to take that in because i was so amped to go, and I was like, "Yes, this is the ultimate thing." And like, true crime is to go to the Museum of Death, and you know, you take this pilgrimage there, if you will. And then, as soon as I got there, I was like, "Oh, I hate this," and I felt I felt weird for not liking it. I felt like well, I like should it. have liked it.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean, and I I think I, I write a little bit in the book. I had like a similar experience at Crime Con, where the first at first oh, I was like, yeah. "This is I th- all the crime I could want. This is perfect." And then at a certain point, I was like, "This is." this is too, too much. And it's like in a weird way, like too fun. And, and that's, yeah. there's, there's some cognitive dissonance and I don't know. I I, I always want to retain my ability to be shocked and horrified, you know, yeah. if, if yeah. I felt like that part of me or like sad or upset, you know, about these stories. Cause they, they, that's how we should respond. Right. And I think they, when I start to feel that um, kind of desensitization in myself, then I have to be like, whoa, you know, what's going on? Am I, am I like, is this too, am I going too deep into this true crime?
0: Yeah, I, um, I agree. I went to CrimeCon the first year and I think the second year in Nashville. Um, so I was there too. Okay. But it uh, it took on a really different vibe the second year from the first year. Oh, really? So the first year... Yeah, it was really, um, it was really like focused on advocacy. There were some, you know, different things that popped up that were kind of, you know, come and see this or talk to this person and learn about this. But it was a lot of informational things that really fascinated you. Like we had Joe Ronson there who was talking about, you know, this, the psychopath and everything like that and how he may be one and blah, 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 blah. So we were like, wow, this is really fascinating. This is really cool. And then the second year you go in and I think that's when it became sponsored by Oxygen, I think, by that point, um, or it was more prominent than it was the year before. So a lot of it had changed into something that was more commercial, right? So these are the people who are going to watch Investigation Discovery and going to watch Oxygen, but don't really get into the depths of the true crime research like most people who get involved with true crime or listen to podcasts. It's like they're researchers in and of themselves. So as soon as they hear something, they're like, Oh, I want to hear how you know, you tell this story, but I also want to read about it on my own too. And like find right. out as much yeah. information yeah. as possible. Yeah. That's not always the the crime con attendee, right? This is somebody who's like, Oh, let me get some wine and watch it with my girls on a Saturday yeah. night. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, totally. it's, a, it's an unwinding kind of thing. And it's not bad. Like I know, I realize that there are so many different types of listeners for true crime. There are some who, who love comedy true crime and those who love the really gruesome true crime and those who like the mix of the true crime and paranormal together. Like there's so many different types of listeners out there. But what threw me off for the second year was that it was really commercialized for a standard person who was, you know, that person sitting on the couch drinking wine and being like, Ooh, isn't that murder silly? You know, (laughs) and having like jails and having you know like how would you kill somebody or you know what are you here for and things like right. that and it's there was uh some controversy I think with the last one they had where they had people posing in a jail cell um mm-hmm. and with the incarceration and the way that you know there are people who take jail reform very very seriously and prison reform very seriously um that kind of rubbed them the wrong way and it's just like you know you have to understand who's going to be there, but you have, you have victims, families who are there or victims of crimes too. And you're right. seeing people take pictures in a jail cell. Like it's a fun thing to do, right. you know? So it was really, it was really odd in terms of that. And I, I say that because crime knows I don't like them right now. So it's fine. <laughs> I
1: it, 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 you know, it wasn't, I had a confusing experience too, because it certainly wasn't entirely bad. And I think if it if I oh, no. had really hated it, that would have been easy in a way or not. But I was it was this mix of like it was almost right and then um yeah, this feeling this of one like was- this-
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly it. But yeah, I, I was I mean, we went there in terms of podcasters. We went there to hang out with our listeners and hang out with other podcasters. So yeah. none of us really like I think the second year didn't really go to any of the things cuz we were just like, yeah, let's go hang out in the bar. Um so it was an expensive trip to hang out with your friends for yeah. <laughs> for a weekend
1: on a cruise or something. The next one's supposed to be on a cruise?
0: Pass. There's no <laughs> way in my life. I, I I would never go on a cruise anyways, because I always hear these terrible stories. I'm like, you have people who, especially with the COVID situation, unfortunately, who were stuck out for six weeks, you know, in the middle of the ocean.
1: Like it's a setting for a murder mystery. I mean, and there have
0: been cruise ship murders before. so. I think like Amy Bradley is one of the most prominent cruise ship disappearances is where she mm-hmm. um, disappeared off of the cruise. And they believe, I mean, there's multiple theories out there about her that mm-hmm. she was either human trafficked or that she was murdered and disposed of and thrown over, you yeah. know, I mean, it, there's too much to happen on a cruise ship that it, yeah. it, it goes against my safety rules, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Um. So, Okay. So what do you want people to get from the book whenever they read it? Because I got something completely different than I thought I was going to get because I thought it was really going to be just a, you know, like, oh, here are these stories about women and da-da-da. But uh, the way that you go into them and the way that you tell them and kind of offer this really interesting examination of these different roles I was not expecting that. So what are you hoping that readers get from this book?
1: That's a really good question. I guess in some ways I I hope people come out of it with like more questions and thoughts of their own, like I and and that it spurs discussions in a way. You know, sometimes people will ask me and I appreciate that um you haven't um you know like so why do women love true crime it's like well you know if i had a one sentence answer for you i wouldn't have written a book about it because i do think it's. this is a subject that's often treated as something that's really simple or obvious when i think it's like very layered and different between people just like you're saying like people have are drawn to so many different kinds of stories that evokes yeah. different emotional responses. And so kind of trying to generalize, I don't think is makes sense. So I guess I was trying to, um to part of it was looking at other people's obsessions and seeing what parts of me kind of resonated like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like I can, I could totally imagine myself. There's a part of me, like a uncomfortable part of me that can imagine myself as a 12 year old on Tumblr, you know, like, yeah maybe having fallen into the Columbiner world, or I can, I can really relate to somebody devoting her life to a wrongful conviction and trying to like exonerate somebody. Um, And so seeing where I did relate and then where I didn't relate. So that's, I, I guess I hope people can maybe understand, look at it and sort of maybe understand more of like, what is it in them that is drawing them to true crime? That's part of it. And then I think the other part is, um, just kind of thinking about how the stories that, that we tell and the stories that we don't tell um, don't just shape us personally, but also have this effect on our, our politics and our culture and our society. And so thinking about, you know, which who gets represented as a victim and who is, is left out of the world of true crime victims, what stories get told over and over and over again, and why, and what stories never get told, um, right. and how that shape as a society, you know, if there's so many of us watching true crime all the time, um, as the oxygen tagline is, um, but so many, but we're getting in some ways like a very distorted picture, um, through which cases like fit into the true crime format. How does that affect us and like what, how we all relate to the world. And so I I wanted to on that level too.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree because there are a lot of people who get their panties in a wad over missing white girl syndrome, right? Because you hear a lot about these stories of um, women or young women who are abducted and murdered. Um, But the stories that really kind of make those headlines are Caucasian women, uh, non-people of color, if you will. And you could have the exact same thing happen or other victims of this person come forward and if they're a person of color, they're often, you know, kind of pushed to the side or being like, oh, this person's way more interesting because they have a better story to tell. Like you put yourself yeah. in that situation because of your lifestyle or whatever. But this person, you know, it makes no sense for them. And the the thing is is that there's no perfect victim for a case, right? There's no be like, oh well, you're poor. So obviously you are the perfect victim for anything right. to happen. Like I grew up poor and that did not happen you know, to me. Um, so I, I appreciate that you shared these stories and that it will cause people to really think about how society has played into what stories we care about and whose stories we care about. Um, yeah. I think it's, with everything going on, of course, you know, there's a high focus on, um, podcasts of color, which I think is amazing. And I think it's great because it's, podcasts I haven't learned about because I was like, oh, I didn't know that there was this or whatever. Like I knew, you know, kind of a staple in the genre, but I didn't really know about other smaller creators who were creating podcasts about victims of color and crimes Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think it's really, really interesting. And I hope that the tide turns there because I think that, you know, every victim deserves to have their story told in a compassionate way and in a way that fascinates you just as much as a crime you know committed by Jeffrey Dahmer or by Ted Bundy sure it may not be as prolific but it shouldn't matter you know the the circumstances behind the person's life of why you know they were murdered or anything like that I think it's truly just really sadly a game of chance if you will and and the people that they know um
1: but I I mean oh sorry no no go ahead I guess it's, and also it'll make, I mean, it's like the right thing to do and it'll make us all a lot safer. You know, I mean, I was, there was an article um, in the Atlantic a few months ago about a guy who was a serial rapist Mm -hmm. and and basically like some of his first victims or some of his first victims who came forward, one of the women was, she wasn't even a current sex worker. She had done some sex work like, Decades ago, or something, mm-hmm. but it was filed somehow. She tried to report this guy as like a violent sex offender, and the police completely didn't consider her credible because you know this uh, apparently, like to this, and this guy was like a sex crimes prosecute or sex crimes, like on the sex crimes unit or something. So you would think that he would have known better, yeah. But no, he just completely discounted her, and of course, this guy goes on to reoffend. You know, so so often people who are like seeking out, um, like people who are like preying on people are are looking for the most vulnerable. And if we sort of discount the stories of people who are vulnerable, like, you know, sex workers or trans women or the homeless or people who are addicted to drugs, if we sort of like don't pay attention when those people are attacked or assaulted or murdered, then, you know, we're not we're not learning what is actually happening and those people are so often the victims and but it's just again it's like this obsession with the idea of like the innocent victim um as if there's any such thing as like a guilty victim. Yeah you know (laughs) yeah
0: I don't understand that. So I'm glad you said that. So um I, I like I said I could not put the book down. I was you know I get a lot of requests for Um, new authors and new books that are coming out and stuff like that. And I was just like, you know what, let's give it a chance. And Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that we started with you because it is truly a fascinating book. Honestly, Um, I finished it in a day because I was just like, I couldn't put it down. It was great to hear. Yeah. And I read a lot too. So like I read a bunch of different stuff and it's, I love true crime in terms of reading about it and learning as much as possible. Um, so it's really hard to capture my attention because I am like, Oh God, I've heard that before. Oh yeah. You know? So it was a lot of new, interesting things in the new perspective that um, I got to, to consider when I was reading this and was like, Oh yeah. You know, like the Columbiner saying, like I said, kind of threw me off and I was like, Holy crap. But you know, even having that conversation with you earlier about it, it kind of just shifts my perspective again. And it's just like, yeah, you don't realize, you know, that they created these characters, like in American Horror Story to be, you know, affectionate figures that you are going to be like, oh my God, he's so hot. Oh my God, he's so great. And then the surprise is, oh, guess what? You've liked a killer all along and you had no idea. And I think that that's the point. It's, you know, it, it disarms you and it's on purpose. Right. Right. So, right. And then
1: people are like, why do girls like, white, like these killer boys? And it's like, well, it's on this huge TV show, you know, like,
0: Of course they do. do. Um, So real quick, before we open it up for questions, and I will unlock the screens in case anybody is brave enough to join us online. Um, If you're not, don't worry about it. It is okay. I know sometimes it is a little intimidating to get on screen. Um, But if you have any questions, If you're in the Facebook chat, go ahead and submit those there. Or if you're in the Get Vocal chat, submit it there. Welcome to our new friends who joined us earlier today and I did not say hello. Um, But if you are interested in receiving a copy of this book, um, or rather winning it in the giveaway, all you have to do is email tcfcpod at gmail.com with your name, mailing address, and the title of the book, Savage Appetites, in the subject. If you don't do that, you don't get it, okay? Um, but along with the book, you are also going to get a bunch of TCFC goodies. So stickers, bumper stickers, buttons, holographic stickers. I mean, like literally whatever I have around the house that is was supposed to be used for our True Crime Podcast Festival um, that got, got canceled till next year because of COVID. So thanks, COVID. Um, but that will be included here. And of course, if I have any other podcast gear, that um, my friends have sent me you will get that as well as a big goodie pack so remember tcfcpod at gmail.com and savage appetites in the title so that you can get your copy or maybe win a copy of this but Rachel why don't you tell us where we can find your book and then of course where we can find you
1: you can find the book I get wherever fine books are sold (laughs) I think that's great. That bookshop.org, hopefully people know about that, but that uh allows like local independent bookstores near you to send you the book and it's like just as efficient as Amazon, but um that supports local business, so that's really cool if you just search for Savage Appetites. Um there's an the audiobook too. I have I'm for some reason I'm like nervous to listen to the audiobook, but people tell me that she did a really good job. Um and yeah, ebook, too, available. And I'm on uh, Twitter way too much. It's okay. Uh, at Rach Monroe um, or otherwise around on the internet. Well,
0: so you are in actually, and I'm glad <laughs> we're towards the end, so we, we've talked about the true crime. You are in Marfa, which I think is so fun because um, last year, me and my husband went to Terlingua to okay. stay in the bubble. And everything and enjoyed our, you know, our fun little camp there, if you will. I don't camp. It's glamping for me. So we stayed in the bubble. It was amazing. But we went during the weekday and I was like, you know what? Let's go to Marfa. We can see what it's like. And it was like dead town because it was like it was like a Wednesday, I think, or something. And it was dead. But it was it's so tiny. So how did you end up in Marfa? Because you're not from Texas. How does how do you land there?
1: You should read my. I wrote a true crime story about Terlingua about a murder that happened in Terlingua. Is it at
0: the uh, restaurant? Yeah, at yes. love Eva. Yes, my yeah. friends from All Crime No Cattle, who also are bone diggers, much like you, um, covered it in their show, and they did such a great job.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, that one's like, oh.
0: it's it's weird,
1: heartbreaking story. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's funny, Marfa's. Um, a special little town for people who don't know it. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Like the nearest city is El Paso, three hours away. Mm -hmm. Um, We're like 70 miles from the, from the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, Which is where I was at, where I found that bone. Um, (laughs) Cow bone, not human bone. Yes,
0: cow bone guys.
1: (laughs) And... You know, I had just—I all my work was kind of happening online, so I knew I could live kind of anywhere. I I drove through here on a road trip, and I just was like, "Wow, small town, Texas. It's like population of about 2,000, so it's like the size of my high school." Mm-hmm. I was like, huh? But um, a lot of artists and writers, creative people, live here, so it has um, that creative element mixed into this small town, which makes it a really fascinating place, and. I just kind of stopped here and, and thought it would be temporary. And then next thing, you know, it's like eight, eight years later,
0: later. <laughs> you're there. No, it's yeah. a gorgeous. Seriously. It's such a gorgeous place. Like we, Beautiful. yeah, I
1: forget that sometimes, but it
0: is so pretty. Um, when we were in interlingua, I was like, dang, dude, we should get a house out here. Like a little spot to come because it is so serene. You know, you're right by, um, the national park. What big bend. Oh my God. Bad mm-hmm. Texan. So sorry, friends. Um, but yeah, it was incredible. Like seeing the desert at night, seeing the clear skies, like it's just something I live in a burb, so it's not like yeah. I get that anyway, but it's something that's so great and so wonderful. And it was, especially if you guys get the chance and you're in the area, head to Turlingua at the base camp. They have wonderful staff there. Um, and the bubble is so awesome because it's you're literally encapsulated in a bu- bubble and you can see the night sky. And it's it's so beautiful. And then you can go hang out in Marfa when it's much more lively than it was when I was there. Um, But it was such a cool place. And I really want to go back whenever we can truly explore uh, Marfa. There was a cute little um, coffee shop that was right around the corner by the courthouse and everything.
1: There's so many coffee shops. I
0: know. Yeah. But yeah, we, sh- we for sure want to go. So uh, go back again. So we will probably make it out there one more time. And um, Rachel, like I said, she's on, or she said herself, she's on Twitter. So feel free to interact with her, talk to her about the book. It's like I said, it's incredible for a true crime read. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I'm a hard win when it comes to books, you guys. So, and I don't just say that cause she's here. I truly mean that. Um, it did capture my intention truly. And it, like I said, it is really, really hard to do because I am so like ingrained in true crime. It's ridiculous. So again, thanks everybody for showing up and we didn't have any questions. I think in the chat, Facebook is a little slow. So if you guys are asking questions, sorry. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Twitter, Twitter, ask questions. Um, and like I said, I'll announce the winner at the next live stream on Thursday on the Get Vocal stream. Um then and now that Rachel you have a Get Vocal account, you should totally think about hosting your own little live stream about your book and things like that or having other oh, podcasters on. You could totally do it. Um but thank you again so much for joining us on the pod, on the podcast, on the live stream. You are our first official author to come on the live stream to oh, wow. kick off of our true crime book thing um so i really really appreciate it and we are definitely looking forward to whatever else you have to put out because you are a great writer um i i can't wait to to read what else you got coming out any any projects down the line after this book
1: i've got a, i've got some stories that i'm doing most of them are not not about true crime yeah i'm doing a story i get to go hang out with a bunch of Uh, Like TikTok teen celebrities. Oh my god! So exciting. (laughs) Next, hopefully, if if, you know the COVID dies down a little bit, so I'm gonna.
0: I love TikTok. It's such a great waste of time for me.
1: The sway house. Um,
0: Oh my gosh! I can't believe you're going there. You you know there's a bunch of drama going on right now, so I love it.
1: It's just there's always drama, but then it's yeah, it's really intense it's
0: really right now. great. Okay, sorry guys, you're probably like, what the hell, TikTok? Yes, it's there great. Hopefully, there won't be a murder. Yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> but if there is, I will cover it. I was kidding. <laughs> well, I'm gonna go ahead and stop the broadcast. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and positively review the show on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCpod, Facebook.com slash TCFCpodcast. You can also find us on Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod. And of course, our website is truecrimefanclub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, tcfcpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to join me on Get Vocal every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time to talk about the latest in true crime.